Um, but before we do all that, we want to be able to get back to the Word, because that is ultimately what we need more than anything else. Um, and if you've been with us over these last, this is our fifth week now, we've been tracing the footsteps of Jesus, um, just pointing out those sacred moments as He uh, told His disciples what awaited Him as He walked back to Jerusalem for the Passover for the last time. And this series comes from Mark chapter 10. And I just take you back there once again. It says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And so we've traced this out, and I just put this back on the screen for you again, just so you can see the things that Jesus told them were going to take place. He told them first that they were going up, and we talked about what that literally meant, uh, that there's actually a twofold meaning. But what Jesus says, based on the way this word for going up is translated, it's not just a physical climb up to the city, which is what people would generally think because Jerusalem is situated on a hill. It's actually a deeper spiritual term that he used. It's, it's a unique term that's used right here when Jesus speaks compared to any other time in the New Testament because he knew what he was going up to do was greater than anything else that was going to take place over the course of the next week. Um, and so he was trying to deliver that understanding to them. And we need to be reminded that when we see words in English, Jesus didn't say we're going up. And we would just hear we're going up. He used that specific term uh, so that they would understand. And they probably look like, what is he talking about? He's not, he didn't say we're walking up the hill to the city. He, he made this a little bit more significant. And so we talked about the significance of that. And then we looked at that. Uh, the second part of that, the son of man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And I told you that there's a lot of misconception especially in the church today, that Jesus came to abolish the law, and that is biblically false and inaccurate. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. Jesus came to be the fulfillment of the law. And God used this opportunity to still honor the law because I showed you where it told us that the scribes literally laid their hands upon Jesus, and then they handed him over to a Gentile audience. So the, the weight of the nation fell on Jesus and then the weight of the world falls on Jesus because God used the sacrificial system found in the Old Testament to place it on the back of his son. And he allowed the priests who had very, very, very poor motives, but they're his assigned priests. So he still honored his system and used his son to fulfill all things. And the only way that happens is if God does it the way God intended it to be done. Then we talked a little bit Last week about the mocking and the spitting and the flogging and ultimately the killing. We did not talk about the crucifixion much, but I wanted you to see the symbolism of all the mockery that they put into this. Because if you remember, they placed a scarlet robe on his shoulders and they're doing it in mockery. And they placed a crown of thorns on his head and we talked about that. We talked about the reed that was placed in his hand. Uh, and we talked about the thieves on the cross and even the symbolism of what we see in Scripture about the thief on the right and the thief on the left. Uh, and I told you that it may not be accurate, but when you go back and you look, there is a lot of imagery in the Bible about the thief on the right was actually the thief that said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Uh, and you, if you didn't hear any of that, it's on a podcast because I'm not going to teach it again today. 
So you can go check out our podcast and you can listen to all those messages if you'd like to. So today we get into this three days later, he will rise. And so you got to remember, we got to put ourselves back in this situation where we're a disciple hearing Jesus say this. We know they're already going up. We know what they're going for. We know it's the, the feast of the Passover is coming up, week-long festival. That's their motivation. And Jesus says, no, this is what's going to happen. And we know, because we have the benefit of hindsight, that they did not hear anything that he said when he said this. Because they scatter scared when all of this takes place. And it, it, would, it, it looks to us like they didn't have any faith whatsoever because they just scatter and they run. But if we were to be honest and put ourselves in their situation, we would probably do the same thing. This is the guy that has come and he has said all of this incredible stuff. He has done all of these amazing things. And I believe wholeheartedly that he is the son of God. He is who he says he is. But for some reason, when we get to this part, we, we have a hard time reconciling the crucifixion and then ultimately three days later, the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we get to this part of the event, I don't want to talk about the physical aspects of this, but I want to look at, um, I guess, the reason why so many had so much difficulty during this. And, and I, I dare say that, like, I could give the whole message away, but the majority of it is simply because of the lack of faith. And it's why Jesus spent so much time telling them, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, like, he's trying to tell us, it doesn't take much to believe this. And my hope through the entire series has been, you can look at what the Old Testament teaches, what the New Testament teaches, and then last week when we brought Revelation into the picture, it's all been laid out. And so if you look at it, you have to intentionally say there's no way this is real. Like that's how much faith it takes for us to actually believe this. That's why Jesus said what he said. It wasn't to diminish our faith. It was for us to realize that it really doesn't take as much as we think it does. It doesn't take as much fortitude in us. And the reason that it's like that is because if we constantly put what Christ did and our faith is the measure then we're measuring from the wrong place. The point is, is that what Christ did is so amazing, it doesn't take me much faith to even put myself there. And I don't, I don't carry the weight because Christ has already carried it. And so when we, when we look at this, this last part of our journey, we look to where we now have Jesus being crucified. He's been placed in a borrowed tomb. And we're going to go back three days later, and I want to take you to a couple passages. John chapter 2 first, right after uh, the events of the Passion Week, it says, So the Jews said to him, What signs do you show us for doing these things? Jesus said to him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, this immediately raises questions for me, as I tell you all the time. The Bible often does that, and God is perfectly okay with you asking your questions, right? Right. God's not cool when we start pointing the finger and questioning, right? There's a difference. And so I have questions when I get to this point. Why is it that in the chaos they forgot? But I also think about some of the chaos of my own life that doesn't have anything to do with this. 
and sit and just forget that God loves me, that God has saved me, that God has redeemed me, that God has filled me with His Holy Spirit, that He's given me a power and authority that's above all of my situations and circumstances, and I forget it. And when do I generally remember it? When I get to a quiet place and I'm reminded of His Word, I remember all of it. And I bet if you're honest, you do the same thing. You... you you curse and you moan and you groan and you fight and you claw. And then you have that moment where you just say, I can't do it. And you sit down and you take that deep breath. And it's like the Holy Spirit just refilled you again. And you have to go, Lord, forgive me for everything that I just said and did. I'm an idiot. Now, that may be me more often than maybe you. But I have to sit there and look at it that way. So Luke, uh, John records this, that they remembered what he had spoken based on what's transpiring. So Luke records something that took place right after the resurrection as well. It says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then in verse 8 it says, and they remembered his words. So here we are again. We forget in the midst of tragedy and chaos, we forget. They forgot. And then this word comes and it's like, I remember. I remember, but we also know as we continue the story, we know that their response is still kind of one of a lack of faith. Because what did they do? They went and they hid. Uh, Jesus has already come back and appeared, and you remember in Acts, he comes and he reveals himself to them, right, in the upper room. What were they doing in the upper room? They were still hiding. They remembered, but they were still fearful that ring any bells for any of us? I remember what you said, but this is my situation. I remember what you said, but, 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 God, you don't understand is what we're saying. And, and he does. He understands. But what, what actually is happening, this is what I want you to see today. What actually is happening is this. There's a remembrance that takes place in the disciples. And they remember a lot of things. And you and I remember a lot of things when we're in the midst of, uh, in the midst of our own chaotic minds, in the midst of, of life gone crazy, in the midst of whatever this world throws at us. We're reminded of a lot of things. And the disciples were reminded of this first. They were reminded of the days of darkness. And here's why I say that. They were reminded of this because I personally believe that when they forgot... God intentionally put them in a position where they had to fight to remember. You, you understand what I'm saying when I say that? You may not. And if you don't, I'm going to explain that to you as we continue through our message today. They remember the days of darkness because we all need to be reminded of the moments in our life that end up being the moments that draw us closer. And if we're really honest, it's in the chaos and in the the deepest, darkest places that you do one of two things. You either do what it said in the Old Testament. You either curse God and die, or you're going to lift your eyes up and you're going to praise Him all the more. 
So God intentionally puts them in this position that they forget what Jesus has said so that they can remember this. Well, why in the world would God want to do that? Because you need to remember, and I need to remember, the depths of the darkness in which we live separated from him. So he didn't go in the grave three days just to fulfill prophecy. That's a huge part of it. But he went in the grave for three days so that we could see what life without him is like. And they're in that place. For three days, they're like, our world just ended. But they're reminded of things even back in Genesis where in Genesis 1, it says that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. What does that have to do with anything? Remember, we talked about this. We do it all backwards, right? Our day starts at sun up. So we start our day with the light and end it at night. They don't. They still don't to this day. Their day starts at sundown, evening, and rolls into sun coming up the next day. Why? Because that's how God intended and created the order. It was darkness over all the face of the earth. And then he created light and called it day. They remembered that. Why? Because they needed to remember that at one point, even all of creation was in darkness. And God created light for an opportunity for us to be able to see. They were reminded of this. They were not only reminded of this, but they were reminded of the Exodus. And this won't be on your screen because you can go back and you can look at Exodus. They're reminded of their, their time in slavery. It was miserable. Guess what time of year they're celebrating? Passover. When did Passover take place in the Old Testament? When the Lord said, this is what you are to do, to paint the doorpost, and the angel of death is going to come over. If your doorposts are painted, you're going to be passed over. That's darkness for everybody else. But they're reminded of the slavery and the bitterness that this entire week reminds them of. They're not only reminded of that, but you go to Jesus' words and in Matthew uh, or in Matthew 27, not just Jesus' words, but what's taking place is he's hanging on the cross. It says, from the sixth hour until uh, the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have been there. They would have heard this. They would have remembered the darkness that fell. And if you're not familiar, this is in the middle of the day. It's pitch black dark as Jesus is about to breathe his last over these last three hours. They remembered every bit of that. But they remembered every bit of that so that they can remember the second part of it. The days of deliverance that comes out of darkness. And so they remembered the darkness, but they also remembered the days of deliverance. I've already mentioned it, but I just mentioned it again. The very festival that they're celebrating that all of the people of Jerusalem have come back for... The, the celebration of the, the Passover is to be reminded of his deliverance, not just the darkness that they lived in. That he made a way for them out of that so that they could live in his presence from darkness into light. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find Pastor, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That sounds like deliverance to me. So they remember the days of darkness. They remember the days of deliverance. And this is probably my favorite one. And they 
have a hard time with this one. I love this one because I like to rest. They remember the days of rest. Why do they remember the days of rest? Well, think for just a moment. Jesus has breathed his last on the, on the cross. He's been placed in the tomb. And there's just a silent hush over all the people. Like even people that were just casual onlookers, there's just this quiet calm that takes place over these, this period of days. And it's settled deeply into the disciples' heart. They not only remember what's taking place in front of them, but they remember the institution of the, the Sabbath rest. Why were they in such a rush to take Jesus off the cross? Because they were fixing to run into a Sabbath. They could not, they could not work, so they had to, once he died... He had to come off the cross quickly and be placed in a borrowed tomb. There's a whole purpose behind all of it. And I dare say that God did it intentionally so that we would remember this. We would remember the darkness from which we've come. We would remember the deliverance for which he's brought us. We would remember that we can rest in his presence as he instituted on the Sabbath. If God, in all of his wisdom, in all of his power, in all of his authority, created all of the world and said, you know what, on the seventh day I'm going to rest. I think we need to be, we need to be able to take a deep breath and rest in that presence ourselves. Some of us think that we have to just keep going and going and going and going and we keep asking God to bless and bless and bless and bless. And God says, you need to take a breath, son. You need to slow down, daughter. The reason I rested wasn't because I needed it, but because I was instituting something that you would see. And I even put it in, in this story, in this, in this line for my own son, so you would see that we're going to rush through this. It's not an accident that Jesus dies at the moment that he dies. So that they can get him off the cross in time to continue to honor the Sabbath. God did all of it per, very particularly. I know we don't teach on that very much. And when you think about it, you're like, well, that's not really a big deal. It is to me. God, in all of his infinite wisdom, was creating an opportunity for all the world to be saved through Jesus. And he remembered the minute details. And still honored every one of them. That is a huge deal. Because a lot of the issues that I think a lot of us face is, it's we forget the details of stuff. We forget stuff like this. We forget the details in our relationship. And details are the things that matter the most, most of the time. And then we want to do what? We want to make up for it with the grand gestures. Grand gestures are great, but if you've missed the details all of these years and all of these times that, that it could have just been right then, it could have just been right all along. And so the details are so important. And so God even honoring the day of rest, and it, it calls them to remember what, what they knew about rest from their reading of the Psalms. Psalms like Psalm 37, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his ways, over the man who carries out evil devices. Or Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. They remembered the prophets and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Isaiah 30 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust you shall be, shall be your strength. Jeremiah says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. They remember Jesus' teachings just prior to what takes place here 
at the, at the crucifixion or resurrection where Jesus told them to take the, his yoke upon them and learn from him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you think about what that says, I've taught on this before. To take a yoke upon your shoulders, there's nothing easy or uh, nice about it. Because we know what a yoke does. It goes on the back of an ox or whatever and it's heavy. And it hurts, and Jesus is like, but mine's not. You can find rest in me, in my presence. And the disciples were reminded of this during this time. They're also reminded where he told them, peace I leave with you, peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And they remember all of this. And it leads me to once again ask the question, if they remembered all of this, why do they find themselves in the places they do? Why do they get to a point where they feel like, and oftentimes you and I feel like, we have more questions than we have answers. The world is constantly around us in so many ways trying to convince us that we're wrong as believers. And they may not be intentionally and uh, exclusively attacking Christianity, but they're pecking away slowly but surely at the very fabric of what believers are supposed to stand for. And it's one of the things that we do. We desensitize ourselves and just say, well, we're just going to be tolerant because that's loving. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We don't do that if we've got a drug addict or an alcoholic in our lives, do we? Well, they're happy where they are. Well, sure, they are when they're high. They're happy. But it's killing them, and you know it. Is it love to say, oh, just go ahead and do what makes you happy? No, it's not. We know it's not. But we'll continue to allow things to just peck at us just a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. And I say that because... I believe the disciples were left with more questions than they had answers. And you and I are often left with more questions than we have answers because God still requires us to place our faith in Him. And there are things that happen in life. There are things that have happened in my life that I remember vividly going, God, I have no idea why you allowed this to happen. I know you allowed it to happen, and it's a horrible thing that you allowed to happen. I don't know why. But I've got to make a decision right now. And my decision is, as for me and mine, we're going to trust you. And years later, I still go back and say, God, are you ever going to tell me why? And God says, son, I love you, but it's not for you to know. It's for you to have faith. And you know what, church? That's got to be enough. And you know what the world's going to tell you? You're an idiot. You're crazy. There's something wrong with you. That's fine. As for me and mine. We're going to continue to place our faith in him. And so when the disciples get to this point and when you and I get to that point in our lives, we, we always, 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 you're always, you're not going to be able to explain it all. And God's not going to explain it to you. And a lot of us in the room go, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not okay with that. It's okay. One day you won't be the center of your universe any longer. That's, I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. Let's, let's just call it what it is, okay? If I'm still the center of my universe, then God owes me an explanation for everything that happens to me. God owes me an explanation for everything that goes on in my head because I can't explain it sometimes. 
Folks, he doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us everything. Some of us just get hung up on so many of the, of the, of the minute things that are so unimportant when we pull ourselves back and we look at the grand scheme of things. And so the disciples were left that day with so many questions. And generally speaking, we, we, we as believers probably do this, and you probably think this is my mentality towards it, and it's not, but I just got to have faith. Just got just to gotta have a little bit more faith. It requires more faith. Well, how do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. You get that all the time? What's that, what's this, what's that old song? Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That, that's like, okay, that's correct, but it also becomes an excuse. So when somebody comes to us with questions... And we are like, well, the Bible said so. Yeah, but what about you? Because your faith is not attached to that. You're just telling me what the Bible says. Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Bible is just another historical document. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not degrading the Word of God, so don't hear that. But the reason that this Word is powerful is because of who it points to and who's pointing us to it. Right? We believe in that, don't we? And if we're the ones that this is starting to get pointed at and people are like, you just like, well, because the Bible says that. I used to complain about this when we lived in Louisiana. If you're traveling north between, I think it's between Tangipahoa and Kentwood, there's a sign on the side of the road. You ever seen it? Jesus is the answer. Read the Bible. Yeah, that's great. But uh, they're reading you too. And I, I probably, if you're like me, you probably suck at it sometimes. Because we're supposed to be the vessels of the gospel. We don't just say, go read the word. Because until the spirit is infused with that word, it's just another historical reference if we're not careful. And so the disciples are left there that day with so many questions. And I go back and I look at a prophetic statement that's made in the book of Hosea. That's, some people don't link it to this particular, the, the resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't, that's okay. If your favorite scholar or theologian doesn't, that's fine. If you disagree with me on this, I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you the way that I see this. There's a reason why Hosea prophesied this. And ultimately, we see what's taking place in the hearts of the disciples and what's happening during the time from the crucifixion to the resurrection. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. That he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. That we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, the water, the earth. The resurrection of Jesus brought about an opportunity for us to see those days of darkness that God's brought us out of. He became our deliverance. It allows us to see that we can take a rest in his presence. That we can just, we can just be okay not being okay. And that's how faith works because we're just okay with him. We're just okay in his presence. God, I know it may not get better, but there's something about being in your presence that just changes all of this. And, and I just look at this and I'm like, Okay, this says everything that I just said, those three little phrases in like the word of God itself. Let us return to the Lord for he has torn us. 
He reminds us of the days of darkness. I don't like that, Michael, because it says that God's mean. Sometimes you need somebody to be truthful with you, and it's going to hurt a little bit. I had a conversation with someone about a particular prosperity gospel preacher one time, and I just asked the question. I said, would you rather someone lie to you in a really nice way, or would you rather somebody tell you a truth that may hurt a little bit? I want the truth. Now, you may like to be lied to and it sound really nice and pretty. We've got that going on all around us, and you can, everything's falling apart around us. I need the truth. Like, that's what I need. I need the truth all the time. If we can't handle this, that he struck us down and he's going to bind us back up, he sent Jesus to the cross. Think about it for a minute. Jesus willingly went, but it was at the prompting of the Father because Jesus said, I don't do any of this by my own will. I do it because of my Father, right? So God sends Jesus to the cross for you and for me. And we're just supposed to be happy, healthy, and wealthy the rest of our lives, right? Why would he send his son to do that, to be struck down, to be destroyed, to be killed, and then it's just for us to live happy, merry, little hellion lives? Do we let our kids do that? Some of us do. Some of you are smiling because you know you do. Like, I just let my kids do whatever they want to do. God doesn't do that with us. Now, he gives us the free will to make decisions, but he's always lovingly drawing us back to a place where we're reminded of these things, where we're reminded of what he's done, that he's torn us, but it's because he wants to actually heal us. There's a thing that takes place. Any of you that's been through any kind of military boot camp, I've been through law enforcement certification training, there is a multi-week process that they call that I'm going to tear you down. They're tearing you down mentally. They're tearing you down physically. They're tearing you down emotionally. Why? Not just so they can beat you up and leave you there, but because they need to build you back up into a man or woman that can perform the way that they need to perform, right? So the first couple weeks, you are physically destroyed. You are mentally bruised and beaten. You are emotionally destroyed constantly. And then the next few weeks, it's not like they start patting you on the back and telling you how good you're doing. Because you've been torn down in such a way and they start to build those things back up, guess what? The healing takes place and you're able to function the way you need to function. That's the same principle at work right here in God's Word. He's, he's wanting to build us up, but He's going to build us His way. Our place is just simply submission. And here, here's what I want to submit to you today. This is the only two things that I want you to see as we get ready to close this series out completely. There is but two things that we are going to do. Jesus has returned conquering the grave. There's fear among the disciples. There's fear in our lives. There's constant questions. And all God is saying to us through his word is, I want you to return to me. I want you to return to me. Return to the Lord. Well, that, that word, return to the Lord, indicates that we were his to begin with. Let me put it to you as clearly as I can put it. All of the world is God's creation. 100%. Every human being on the face of the planet he created specifically, designed perfectly, whether we see it that way or not. There's one thing missing because we get to choose. 
We get to choose to return to the maker. We just sang that song. I'm coming back to my maker, return to my maker. I'm coming back to the life giver. That's the only decision that we make. He's constantly working around you and I in order to bring about the opportunity for us to return to him. We're his anyway. The problem is, is that we all fight and claw for our own independence on a regular basis, especially in an American society where independence is the name of the game. And can I just go ahead and squash this for you? Like the self-made image that we have all around us. It's not possible. There's no self-made millionaires. Somebody else had to buy into whatever it is that they're selling. So they needed that. There's always a need and interconnectivity among humanity because God wired us that way. But we're all wired with the capacity to return to him. The only way we can do that is the way the scripture indicates. It's in repentance and rest. And we can say what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17. It says, he just finally says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved for you are my praise. Jeremiah has been given a window into like the chaos that's going to come. And he's been given a window into what can take place and what's going to take place. And all he, all he can say at this point as he's prophesying and writing his word, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my pain. Throughout the New Testament, we see the word repent, and there is so much theology around that word. I've seen so many studies about what it means. The literal definition of repentance is simple. It's to change your mind. Because if you change your mind about something, actions are going to follow it. If you really change your mind about something, actions will always follow it. The reason I know from a biblical standpoint that repentance is not a 180 degree turnaround, like so many people think it is, that it's just like, oh, well, I'm going to go this way. No, it's I got stopped in my tracks going my way and I said, holy cow, there's something not right here. God, what are you doing? And then there's a turn. How do I know that's the case? Well, the Acts says so in Acts chapter 3. The gospel's been presented beautifully. And the people are cut, it says, to the very core. And they say, what must we do with this, brothers? And what do they tell them? Repent and turn back. That's two separate actions. Repentance is not one action. You understand what I'm saying? Like we've always put repentance as it's me making this big bold decision and turning from those ways. Can I tell you that it doesn't always work out that way? Repentance is me changing my mind about where I stand and knowing what God is doing to help me stand in his presence and saying I want to go that way. And then I can say God forgive me and help me go that way. Repent and turn back. That your sins may be blotted out. It's two totally different things. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. When you change your mind and you turn around, the direction of your life will change. There's no, there, there's no promise of anything else but Jesus at the end of this road. I've told you the words of a song that I hear all the time. 
The lyric simply says, even heaven is hell if somehow you're not there. I'm not, I don't care about no streets of gold. I don't care if I got a mansion over the hilltop, like the hymn says. You can give me a shack in the corner in the back as long as it's close enough to see Jesus. That's all that matters. He's it. He's the reward. Not, man, my, I'm going to I'm I'm get my, my mentality is going to get right and I'm going to be wealthy and I'm going to forget all that mess. If God chooses to do that in your life, you get to praise Him for it. If not, you know what? You get to praise Him that He kept you right where you are, but He's still, He is the prize. And we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be in a place where if, if I receive nothing else but the Lord, I've gotten it all. And that's ultimately what led Jesus to the cross, knowing that the mocking and the spitting would still continue 2,000 years later. That, that Christ would go through this over and over again as people all over the world constantly reject Him. Today, He said, but you know what? There's going to be one that's going to return to the Lord. And it may be this one or this one. And it may be me. It may be you. I'm going to choose to return to the Lord. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to receive the breath of God. The scary, spooky Holy Spirit that so many churches are afraid of. And I've told you before, and I'll say it again, you cannot even receive Christ without the Spirit of God prompting you to do so. You have to have Him in your life, period. I know what's been packaged. I know how all things have transpired from uh, Pentecostal mindset to the the uber conservative what Baptist side that's like, mm -hmm, we don't say all that. There is a middle road with the Holy Spirit that we need to make sure we're in tune with because I've told you before, just making it personal for myself, I am not a great teacher, as some of you have said. I'm just a, I'm just a straight up country idiot. Let's just call it what it is. I'm not educated. Did I go to seminary? Yeah, I went to seminary online. I got an online seminary degree. And you know, I'm just rebellious enough that every time we had to write something, I was like, I intentionally was writing stuff that I knew was like off the wall nonsense. And they still gave me good grades for it. I'm serious. Like I, like I did it on purpose. Like I was playing with my own degree, I guess. I'm nobody. I've told you, I stand up here week after week and tell you the struggle that it is for me to stand up here and do this every week. Because I don't like being in front of people. I'd rather be at home by myself, chill, don't have to say nothing to nobody, doing my own thing. But I also know what God's called me to do. And it's only because I said, okay, God, if your word says that I need the Holy Spirit, I want him. Not an it. It's a person. I want that. I want the opportunity to be able to work in that because I can't do this. I can't do any of this. I'll go home in a little while and I will be exhausted. And I will question everything that I say. Every word. It's not even written down up here. Like you think that because I have an iPad that I've, I've memorized every word. It's not. There, half of what I say ain't even written on here. And I sit there and I go, God, 
please don't let me mess this up. Let your word be your word. Let your word be what speaks. Let your Holy Spirit be what delivers, not me. I can't do it. I don't have the ability. I don't like knowing that there's a podcast with my voice on it that other people can hear. And I go back and I look at it. And I'm like, there's people in other countries that are listening to this idiot. It's me. I don't. This, that, ain't, that ain't me. It's only because of what God wants to do in your life and in mine that we are capable of doing it. And all it takes is just a little bit of faith. I just said, God, okay, you want to use me this way? Then use me this way. I don't like it. I don't want to be in front of people. But God, if this is what you want me to do, this is what I'm going to do. I want what you're offering me because I know it's good. And I know from a biblical standpoint, I'm going to teach you just a little bit on the the Holy Spirit side of things. Before the upper room comes... It says that Jesus, while he was still with them in John chapter 20, it says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is not the same instance when they're at, uh, when they're at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes in like a massive way. This is before that, right? Yep. This is before that. So the Holy Spirit's already present. So what gets confusing is when we try to package something in the wrong way. And I'm just going to tell you what took place in the upper room that day. And here's how I know it took place. Go back and read what took place at Pentecost. If you disagree with me, that's perfectly fine. But I'm not going to change my opinion on this. When the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost, what was the first thing that they did when they walked outside? It said that they were speaking in what? It says tongues, right? Okay, they're in a place where there is multitudes of languages, right? It's a city center. There is multitude of languages. And the question that's asked when they left the upper room among the people who were not in the room when the Holy Spirit fell was, are these men drunk because I understand what they're saying? Is that not what is said there? They're speaking a different language. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying either. I'm not saying that the speaking in tongues isn't a real thing because that's also a real thing. But this, let's not confuse the two things. Because if they were in the upper room and they received the Holy Spirit and they were speaking in tongues, how did everybody outside that has not received the Holy Spirit know what they were saying? Because it's only with interpretation of tongues as a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit that you can do that. Right? Get you to thinking for a minute anyway. So there is, there is opportunity for us to receive the Holy Spirit in a lot of ways. And here's, here's ultimately the purpose that we receive the Holy Spirit. So that we can function in a way that is not natural for us to function. So that when I go into the workforce or in my school or among my family. And I don't have the patience to deal with this stuff. Guess what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It means that I can't produce these in myself as a believer. I have to trust the Holy Spirit to produce those in me. So that when I have no more patience, okay, God, don't give me a reason to be patient because that's how I'm going to pray. You ever done that? God, help me with my patience. And what does He do? He gives you a reason to be patient, right? So don't pray for that. That's a tip for you. 
But what happens is, is if we realize that when we receive the Holy Spirit, that He's working this stuff out in us and those fruits come out of us as we trust Him just a little bit more. I'm returning to the Lord in repentance and rest according to the Scripture. And I want to receive the breath of God. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Our purpose in this world is to be a vessel of His presence so that other people can come in contact with Him. Period. End of discussion. There's no amount of arguing or studying. And it was such a real thing when the disciples remembered this day that they were willing to die for it. And every one of them did. And what God's asking of you and me is to continue to live for his presence, to walk in his presence, to show people who he truly is in your life. Because your story matters. Michael, I don't have a testimony. It's not that big a deal. You absolutely, you went from death to life at some point in your life. That's a miracle and you're living it. And you ought to be grateful for it. We got to stop walking around thinking that we don't have this miraculous, well, I got off a drug addiction and God did this miraculously. You were, you were raised, you were dead. I was dead. And he brought me back to life. I'm a new creation according to Scripture. Still got some of the messed up stuff that I got to deal with on a regular basis that God works out in me, just like you do. But I'm a new creation and I get to work from that foundation and move forward. And so do you. You have a story. Stop letting the devil diminish it, thinking that you can't do anything for anybody for any reason. God can't use me. Bull, He is using you. You just got to be willing I want to return to the Lord. I want to receive the Holy Spirit because I understand what my purpose is. And this is where I close today, Romans 8, just so I can confirm it for you in the Word. It ain't my Word. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. No more excuses, church. No more excuses. What Jesus accomplished in those three days, reminding the disciples of the darkness that they've come out of, the deliverances he's given us, the rest that we can find in his presence, it's for you too. It's for every one of you. It's for every person who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I know my position. I've lived in darkness and I no longer want to live according to the sinful ways of my sinful nature. I want to live in the presence of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to be counted as a saint when you come back to get us. And we can walk in that truth right here, right now.